going to have our Bible reading now. Rosemary is going to read to us. The first reading is taken from the book of James, chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. It can be found on page 247 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. James 5:13-18. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are you cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning at verse 26, and can be found on page 40 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. Would you join me as I pray? Father God, we come before you with one heart and mind today to thank you for the beauty of your creation and ask that you encourage and guide us to be better and more effective custodians of it. Amen. Well, before we can thrive as stewards of God's creation and make a difference, the first thing we need to do is recognise that we are stewards and not masters and, and accept that status. I think we, 
we appreciate it perhaps in our heads, don't we? But it has to come into our hearts that we, so that we are truly content with that status and not for one moment be tempted to think that we can somehow push God off his throne and usurp his position or take God's chair, as Tim Keller puts it. Now, that's a ridiculous notion, I know, but it's fundamental that we get it straight because much error and evil that we see in the world today stems from those who mistakenly believe themselves masters of the universe, masters of their own destiny and circumstances. We've seen that this week, haven't we, in the tragic case of the young lawyer who stole her client's money. She was supposed to be a steward of this elderly lady's money, and, um, but obviously thought herself the master of it. And others that perhaps think that the overblown concept of human rights bestows such power upon them to the exclusion of any sense of responsibility or ultimate accountability to a creator God whose existence in many cases they feel obliged to deny. And while this may ease their conscience, it cannot alter the fact that clouds of believers have down the ages and to this day witnessed to the existence of the living God. So as Christians, I hope we can acknowledge and feel comfortable with our status as stewards of God's good creation. So having clarified that, we can proceed to study our theme, the earth is the Lord's, thriving as a steward of God's good creation, and answer the particular question set by Ian for us today, how can I make a difference? So let's set the context. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50, for the farmers, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. And not to leave out the finance folk from Haggai, the silver and the gold are mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And often when I'm trying to keep things in perspective, I I run those quotes together and I say to myself, the silver and the gold are mine, declares the Lord Almighty, and the cattle on a thousand hills. It's It's a wonderful image, isn't it? of his sovereignty of the whole world. And Jesus uses the imagery from farming in this short parable, the first parable, only found in Mark 4 in our reading, to explain what the kingdom of God is like. He's trying to expand the minds of his disciples and give them the big picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And he says, a man scatters seed, the Greek sporon, on the earth. That's the normal translation for seed. But of course, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. So we may take it that this seed 
stands for the word of God and that the earth represents the heart to which this special seed must be brought by another, which is where we come in and hopefully make a difference. As disciples of Jesus, our job is to sow this seed, the word. But thinking about the farming analogy, I wondered what can farmers actually do to make the seed grow? And what can we do to actually make the seed that we sow grow? We can't actually do anything, can we, in and of ourselves. It is the seed which we rely upon. And the seed is good. So farmers' contribution, perhaps, is to keep the seed dry um, in well-oured barns, prepare the soil as best they can, and after sowing, water it, tend it, keep the weeds down. Trouble is, I think from the spiritual point of view, uh, we so often turn out to be the weeds. But nevertheless, we are to keep on weeding to the best of our ability and we must keep on sowing the seed and spreading that word it's a continuous process and of course we we pray and we seek guidance and wisdom and sensitivity in doing so but having done all that growth comes automatically verse 27 night and day The seed sprouts and grows, though we do not know how. I've often thought, I mean, Chris is the the gardener. She's the plants person in our family. I'm just the labourer. But it's just wonderful to see how she plants these tiny little seeds and then weeks later, wonderful plants grow. I think it's a miracle. Verse 28 All by itself, automate in the Greek, the earth produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel. A process we can take as a description of the progress in the spiritual life. Psalm 65 says of God, you care for the land and water it, You enrich it abundantly to provide the people with corn. God continually at work. And yet he graciously allows and indeed requires us to tend the land as stewards. So we see how the wheat ripens slowly, as often happens with our faith as we discover its power to defeat sin and anger and anything that displeases God. Faith that overcomes the cares and snares of this world and grants us inner peace. All this is the wonderful fruit of the Spirit, the potential within that good seed. Verse 29 As soon as the grain is ripe, the Lord of the harvest puts the sickle to it. That's our NIV uh, English translation. But the Greek word, interestingly, is apostole. So literally, he sends or commissions 
the sickle. Underpinning the spiritual meaning behind the image here of the Lord gathering into his kingdom. Let me conclude our consideration of this first parable with a poem by Wendell Berry, which was brought to my attention by Annie Diamond, who alerted me to it on her recent visit to Jersey to take part in the host conference. The poem is entitled, Sabbaths. Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn, for that the hand must ache, the face must sweat. And yet, no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace. That we may reap, great work is done while we're asleep. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. When we look at our world today, the mess we've made of it, and particularly the challenge of climate change, we might be forgiven for feeling somewhat overwhelmed and depressed But I believe the next short parable from our reading in Mark is meant to encourage us because it echoes the first line of that poem. Whatever is foreseen, enjoy. Because we can easily forget, can't we, that God created the world out of love and with joy. It was a great project for him. It still is, of course. It's an ongoing project. And he was pleased with his work. He found it good. And although his beautiful world has been blighted by human greed and arrogance, God has promised to restore it. So let's put things into perspective and remember the big picture Revelation 21.5 Behold, I am making all things new. So in likening the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, as he does in our second short parable, verse 31 of our reading from Mark, it's the tiniest of seeds, which nevertheless grows into the largest of garden plants. Jesus is reminding his disciples that the grace of the gospel can and will grow phenomenally from the smallest beginnings. And nothing will stop it because the seed is the living word of God, his resurrected son. Despite the noise of the humanists today and whatever they may say, we know that Jesus lived and died and was raised to life. The resurrection was a fact from the very beginning. 
So be encouraged and understand that by following Christ faithfully, we are his witnesses, the latest in that crowd of witnesses throughout the ages. And that is what can make the difference. Another way in which we can thrive as stewards of God's good creation and make a difference is through prayer, as we see from our reading in James 5, which we'll just look at very briefly. The passage is entitled, The Prayer of Faith. And it begins in verse 13 with the question, Is any one of you in trouble, literally suffering ill? He should pray. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him. I'll go straight on to the verse which for our theme today is the main point of this reading. The prayer of a righteous man, and of course read woman as well, is powerful and effective. That's our English translation. But the Greek is interesting because it literally says very strong, a petition, literally begging, of a righteous man being made effective. And the verb there in Greek is energumeni, being energized. So literally what it means is a righteous person's begging achieves a great deal when being energized. How is it energized? It's energized by the Holy Spirit. So the sense here is of earnest, heartfelt pleading, prayer to the point of begging, that continues, it's a continuous process, the the supplicant persevering at it, achieves a great deal when it's energised. And it's energised, I think, by being in resonance with the Holy Spirit, with God's will. And then, of course, it's also energised when we pray together, whenever two or more of you are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And we have, of course, the expression prayer warfare, don't we? And prayer warriors. And when we pray, I think, I hope it helps us to remember that this is serious stuff because it it is spiritual warfare. The enemy doesn't want us to pray. (laughs) He wants to disrupt that resonance. He wants to put a spoke in that wheel to stop us, firstly, getting together and praying or praying on our own. So it's intense. But it's what we can do to make a difference. So there are two things, perhaps, that we need to take away with us today to appreciate. Firstly, that we are stewards and that we accept that in our hearts and are happy and content with that status. But also, and perhaps less comfortably, to remember that when we pray, 
We pray as beggars. And if we do that, and if we are in accord with God's will, and we resonate with the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to achieve a lot. Now, of course, we recognize that we have no power uh, in ourselves. We merely call upon the Lord in accordance with his will. We resonate with the Holy Spirit and uh, persuade the Lord to exercise his power. But he does. He will. As James goes on to prove by the example of Elijah, who he describes, of course, as a human just like us, And yet he prayed earnestly. He begged God for it not to rain for three and a half years. And that prayer was answered. And then uh, he prayed for the rain. And and that prayer was answered as, as well. So prayer has done mighty things. And it still does when we pray in harmony with God's will. And a final word of encouragement regarding God's good creation and our rather woeful stewardship of it up to now. I think we all suspect, don't we, that uh, despite Alok Sharma's best efforts, COP26 in Glasgow didn't produce the fulsome commitments necessary to decisively tackle climate change. There was some progress, but much more needs to be done. Ezekiel 36 has some comfort for us. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, the desolate land will be cultivated, and they will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. So God's going to renew everything, Anyway, now that is by no means an excuse for us to do nothing, quite the opposite. We should redouble our efforts to clean up the mess we've created. No, it's meant as a comfort that the God who keeps his commitments will one day deal with all that desecrates creation. And as Revelation 12 confirms, a time will come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great. Such an encouragement for us to remember that. But there's also a final warning that Mr. Sharma might well have used as a spur to action for those polluting countries who might have been dragging their feet in Glasgow. A time is coming for destroying those who destroy the earth. Amen.